0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick, and I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and your host, and I want to thank you for listening in. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. Today, I'm thrilled to bring you another career deep dive. If you're new to the podcast, this is the type of episode where I bring on guests that are living successful careers, To have them share their insights experiences and perspectives on career building and development now while the overarching themes and focus on career development will be pretty consistent throughout all of my guests my aim is to bring on individuals from a diverse range of backgrounds that can lend unique insight on a particular aspect of what makes up a career that could be a specialization in a particular field or industry experience with certain kinds of career events or they might be able to offer up helpful advice on how others can grow their own careers. Today, I have with me Russ Heiser. Russ is currently the Director of Sourcing and Manufacturing with Prana, with a career spanning nearly 20 years in supply chain and manufacturing spaces, including Sun Microsystems, through the acquisition by Oracle, including over 10 years with Nike. Russ currently lives with his wife and two sons in Carlsbad, California, after relocating from the Pacific Northwest. I'm privileged to have had Russ as a direct manager not once, but twice, and can actually attribute critical junction points in my own career to him and the relationship we built over time. It had been a minute since Russ and I caught up, so let's dig in and hear about his career. Thanks a lot, Russ, for the time. Happy to have you here. Good to talk.
1: Yeah, thanks, Patrick. Thanks for thinking of me and having me on. It's awesome.
0: Absolutely. So, yeah, one of the reasons that I was super excited to to reach out to you and get the chance to talk to you is um, you were really my first manager out of of grad school. And so I think in a lot of ways made a lot of really strong impressions in terms of things that I took away, both for how you manage career and how you uh, manage others. And then privileged to again, have you as a a manager later on and and continue to learn from you in that regard. But the things that really stood out for me that I'm excited to dive into are around um, lessons for how you manage others. I think there's, I've got an example I'd like to talk through and then kind of the idea of approaching balance and prioritization throughout your career. And I think even your career and the rest of your life. And then kind of the tact that you take when working with others and making relationships and maintaining relationships that are authentic, but also professional. So we'll get into all that, but first would love if you could kind of walk through your career. So you're living an awesome career now. Uh, you've done a lot of cool stuff, but in your own words, kind of like, what do you want people to know about your career and what you've done and where you've been?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so yeah, starting with that, I was thinking about this and it's been about 20 years in supply chain almost. So um, And then about 15 years managing teams of various sizes. So any from one on one uh, to have a a networked team of about 60 or 70 at at certain points in time. So it's just a wide range of managing different teams, managing different people, managing people from different cultures, different countries. So it's been it's been quite a journey over the last, I guess, 15, 20 years. I mean, currently I'm working for Prana, which is an apparel brand uh, within the suite of brands of Columbia Sportswear. So, but only about six months at Prana. So, really came in to lead the sourcing and manufacturing function. Uh, so that includes production, sourcing, uh, quality teams. So, working and just kind of representing that with the senior leadership at Prana, and also engaged with Columbia Sportswear. But before that was about ten years at Nike. So a lot of Planning manufacturing supply chain. So, uh, my last role at Nike was uh, really representing global sourcing manufacturing for responsive uh, supply chains. So, being that representative across the whole enterprise to see how Nike could uh, be more responsive to the marketplace, to trend and to demand, and kind of building and help influencing supply chains. So, that was a really cool job, uh, very matrixed, very networked. So, it was a lot of like accountable for nothing or, responsible <laughs> <and then>, uh, <laughs> for uh, influencing a lot. So it was, it was went a lot of library lessons there. Uh, I had some time overseas. I know we're probably gonna get into a little bit with that. running a, a liaison office overseas for a few years. Um, but then a lot of time in supply planning, sourcing, uh, roles at Nike. And then where we first met was way back. in it was probably was about 20 years ago, almost. Um, and uh, so that was with Sun Microsystems and Oracle. <laughs> um, so yeah, so been kind of a broad, broad strokes around a lot of supply chain, a lot of manufacturing, internal manufacturing, outsourcing, global supply chains, working with all regions around the world. So yeah, it's been super fun the last 20 years.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that's been super interesting to talk with with folks in these kind of career deep dives is is the idea of kind of career pivots and I think even knowing your background too I think your, your background is in like finance and accounting before that too right so what were kind of the things that led you to from finance into supply chain and then even industries from kind of very much in that high-tech background into the apparel and, and sportswear space
1: yeah so right yeah I have a undergraduate in accounting and finance and then went to we went to the same grad school uh, Portland State for a master's in international management. Um, so, back when I first started, so even before supply chain, I did five or six years in accounting roles and just felt like I wanted to be more in the decision making part of the business, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the, the keeping track and, and fiscally responsible portion of it. So, just wanted to, I, when I was making that transition, I just, because I was young in my career, I was like, man, I just can't picture myself doing this. Uh, for much longer. So that's why I decided to go back to grad school and just kind of do something different. I didn't know I was going to pick supply chain at the time, but at Mm -hmm. that point, globalization was kind of the main theme and everybody kind of going overseas. And I felt like that was was where business is going, where how do you manage business that's uh, all over the place, like working with all different cultures and countries. So that's what drove me to the Portland State program. Yeah. Um, it just—it was just that change. It was just like, okay, I went through undergraduate, was working for five or six years, and just was uh, just felt didn't feel like I had passion against it. Didn't have mm-hmm. be against that that type of role. So, uh, made that that change, and that change was moving from Pennsylvania to Oregon, right to Portland. So mm-hmm. that was one of the first changes, and then you'll see a theme about that, like having the courage to and trust yourself to make those types of changes and be be open to the experiences that, uh, can help you grow. So that was the first kind of proving point was making that, that shift from East coast to West coast. Mm -hmm. Personality for me feels better on the West coast anyway. So it's, I've been out on the West coast for about 20 years. So it's been a good change. Um, yeah, so with that big change, it just I, the analogy that I would make would just be kind of getting off the sidelines and wanting to be in the game. I was a former soccer player, right? So it just felt like I wanted to get in and talking and making decisions and being a part of the game, part of the process. Because when I was in accounting, it always felt like I was analyzing what happened three three months ago with better information and working with all the decision makers on kind of what they can learn and what they can do better. hmm uh, but it just felt like I was kind of like, just felt like I was um, more, not a nuisance, but a, a, well, if I knew all that, I probably would have made a different decision. <laughs> right, like right. To the game and, and be a part of the decision making, part of the business.
0: Yeah, awesome. And then from the the shift between kind of the high tech space with Sun and then Oracle over into, into Nike what did that bring with it in terms of what you were looking for in your career from like an, from an industry perspective? Cause I mean, we both made a, a, a shift like that. And I think going from a very um, kind of, I don't mean this negatively to Nike, but a very precise environment with high tech and very, very fast moving. Um, kind of few, very expensive things to going to scale and, and very much leading with kind of the marketing and the brand side of things. What what did that open up for you in your career that you were looking for?
1: I think just more opportunity. I mean, we were both in the same uh, manufacturing uh, area for Oracle. Um, it was just um, if if you wanted to do anything else, especially with Oracle's software related, service related in mm-hmm. um, California. And at that point for myself and family, we just didn't want to move to California at the time. Um, So at that point, I kind of was at a position that I just wanted something new, something different. And just at that point, Oracle didn't have that opportunity available. So, with that, I just said, okay, what else is out there? So, we're, and Nike being one of the biggest employers around um, around Oregon, just started networking. So, just started talking to folks that were there that were in similar kind of supply chain uh, planning, those types of roles. And it just kept coming back, coming back. Just I felt like I was on Nike campus every week or two times, (laughs) talking to people for about three months. And then that's when the role came up. So kind of building the relationships early within the Nike team and just kind of just telling them what where my strengths were, what my interests were. And just they kept steering me to people to talk to. Yeah. Very much in networking and work. And that's when the opportunity to come up with Nike came in. They were looking for somebody that was had very similar. Uh, needs and desires that we learned at, uh, at Oracle around some of the kind of the, the planning experience and how we work through raw materials, how we work uh, that type of uh, master schedule. And Nike didn't really have, wasn't very strong at that point in that type of uh, experience. So they're looking for somebody with that that uh, experience to come in. So it was kind of a good fit for me to, to roll into Nike and start to learn that that type yeah. of industry.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I think too, like the call out of kind of the emphasis, even before you got into Nike, the the focus on relationships and meeting people, getting to know, having them get to know you more than just like your resume, because well, what is it something tens of thousands of resumes get submitted to Nike every month, right? So the odds are you're going to make it through whatever optimized search keywords uh, for your resume is pr- probably pretty, pretty slim.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I I think they they realized maybe Nike moved a little bit too far in that regard of relationships. so they've they've tried to pull it back a little bit. So towards the end of my career, there it was like a little bit more of like, now we need to make sure we have equity and,
2: and mm-hmm.
1: some
0: um so,
1: so a little bit more transparency on how folks uh, got into roles and kind of moved around. So um, yeah. yeah, early on it was very much relationship based.
0: Yeah. I think too you you touched on one of the other things that that I like to to kind of tease out with with people on is uh opportunities that might have come up that you didn't consider or that you pivoted away from. And I think you brought up like with Oracle, you had the opportunity to to make a pivot and move down to California to advance your career and it just wasn't right for your family. So are there other are there other things that you like within the ecosystem of how you make decisions for your career that that kind of factor in or other examples that have that have kind of maybe said, eh, this sounds awesome, just not not right now for these other reasons?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it starts with kind of starting to figure out what you really want and where you want to be in. It's a lot of things that we did at Nike, right, was learning about how, how to plan your career and how to just get organized. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's a lot of different techniques that you can do, but it's really coming down to, I always, <laughs> when I kind of explain it, I kind of say, what do you want to be when you retire? What what, is, what does that person look like in terms of experiences or positions or mm-hmm. or what type of roles that you want to have? What does that start to look like? And you can start to back into where you are today and start to say what experiences or exposure do you need to start to build that resume up towards that that north star we used to call it, mm-hmm. um, or just kind of that model of avatar of yourself uh, that far ahead. So that kind of helps guide you in some of these decisions of what does it look like. And then, so after doing some of that analytics, and then once I kind of get there, I kind of have to sit with it. Does it feel right? That's mm-hmm. so kind of that instinct, like kind of got to feel a little bit. Yeah. And myself doing that type of role. Because even before this Prana role, I was going far in some processes for a different company, a different role. It's just when I thought about the Prana role versus the, the other role just this role i can picture myself more in this role that gave me more of those experiences those uh, exposure uh, yeah what i can start to want to be in the next 10 years whatever however long i've been in my career
0: yeah i really like that because it, it it speaks to a uh an intentionality in advance like you've done your you've done the research on yourself you know what you're looking for you know kind of what feels right and then so you can kind of use it as a litmus test when when opportunities come up and hey which one feels better if i've got to choose like i i know this about myself i know what i'm looking for so i love the call out for for importance there and also just the the idea that you've got your retirement as like your north star like what do you want the totality of your career to look like and how do you build that because i think that's where I've gotten hung up on the past of like, well, what role do you want? And everybody's like, I want to be a VP or a CEO or whatever. Right. Like, all right, that's, that's a point Are you done with your career after that. So I love, I love taking it all the way, pulling the thread all the way through to say when you retire, what's your, what's your whole story look like?
1: Yeah, it's like the, when you end this chapter or whatever it is, right. The, yeah. What are you going to be proud of? What are you want to be kind of known for? Yeah. Um, and kind of on when you do that work it also helps your conversations if you call it networking or whatever you want when you reach mm-hmm. out, you have some focus it helps it allows people to better help you because you know sometimes early in your career you just don't know you just want a job you want <laughs> something that's better than what i have and it's right hard for folks especially as you got long in your career it's hard for the help because you don't know it's too broad it's,
2: mm-hmm. it's too-
1: so having that, so like even going back to going over to Nike, it was pretty specific on what type of roles I was looking for, at what level I was looking for, what I thought I was ready for. So that helped.
2: They yeah.
1: You can go talk to these guys and just kind of get a lot more focused on how folks can help.
0: Yeah. No, I, uh, the focus is super important. It's funny. I was just talking to somebody the other day where talking about you know, my own career, it's like, I almost got happier when I could find something like a job or a function or a role where it's like, I don't want to do that because it helps focus down. Like it limits the possibilities a little bit. Um, cause like you're saying earlier in your career, it's like, anything's possible. I could do anything. Like I just need a, a step better than a, what I've got today.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Well, cool. I think, um, I'd love to dive into some of the, some of the lessons that I feel that I've learned from you that kind of tie back to analogies. Again, I think of you as, um, having an analogy for everything. And I love that. And I've kind of like, I found that I've adopted it myself in a lot of ways. Um, and often with less success than I found you to be, um, with, with the efficacy or applicability of the analogies. But I think the first one was, uh, the second time I came to work from you, uh, at Nike. Um, I was still pretty new in my career and very new at Nike. And I think, um, you were, you were giving me another project on, or giving me a new project that was very ambiguous, had a lot to go learn. And I just remember standing in your office thinking like, how does he not understand that I don't know how to do this? Like, what does he think? Like, what kind of confidence does he think he has in me that I can go ahead and do this? And I didn't realize it at the time, but you were you were leaning me into that analogy of building muscle. Like you've got to stretch yourself to some limits yeah. to in, in order to learn. So can you talk a little bit about maybe your approach to that analogy, how you, how you came to adopt it as a management principle or even personal principle. And yeah. how do you use it? Where did it come from?
1: So you've, yeah, it's great. Um, Cause I, I do this quite a lot. And it's well, I think is one of the things I do enjoy about my roles or some of the roles in, where I, I've gone away from this kind of thought is when I felt a little bit kind of lost. So I need, it's one of the reasons I came back to this was just coaching and mentoring. I really enjoy that part of it and what before I even knew what the right terms were you knew you had to when you stretched outside of your comfort zone that's when you grew and that's when you became uh, just had more experience and we had this great I can't remember the the, the, the the guy's name off the top of my head but we had a sports psychologist come in during one of our offsites at Nike and talk about it. it's almost like a bullseye where in the middle is your comfort zone, right? So it's super easy. And on the very edge is like fear. Like, <laughs> uh, so like and in between is your room for growth, right? To be able to stretch. You can't go all the way out to the edge, or you're gonna, you're not gonna feel good. So that's like some people could be like, we had an exercise of like rappelling down the rock wall. Mm-hmm. Some people that's on the edge of their, their scope. It's like they'll, they'll freeze. They, yes. Yeah very innate feelings against that so what you do is why somebody can jump from like space like the other one was that red bull guy that jumped oh yeah you just can't go from jumping out of an airplane to jumping from space so you've <laughs> the idea of how you build that inner confidence that inner circle out so you feel confident that you can do something that pretty much insane yeah and so it's the same with working with folks like working with you is especially when you're younger in your career you didn't know you don't know right so when you think you had that feeling of like does he even know know?" (laughs) like i know you can take that step that's what you need to do to grow
2: Mm -hmm.
1: part of my i always thought my role was is to give you those experiences to help you grow that's the coaching and mentoring so but you have to think about you can't go too far i can't make it so it's a negative experience for me Yeah. What are those things? And that's where you also lean in. You help coach. You get, but you give enough room for them to kind of go through the process. You don't do it before. It's almost like now that you have kids, right? You, it's the same thing. You kind of you didn't learn to walk right away. You fell down a lot. It's the same yeah. thing as a parent. You're there to pick them back up and say, it's okay. It's it's all good. Same with projects or experiences in your, in your careers. You have to give them that space to be able to go, but you're there to support them. Yeah, so that building the muscle and saying, like, if you want to get stronger, you got to break it down to kind of to go forward. So, whenever I think about developing folks, it's, it's that mentality of like, okay, what are those things that they, I think they need to learn to help them to wherever they need to go? So, what experiences, because as you probably learned too, is you learn through experience, right? So, you have to give them those opportunities, but you also have to do it in the right way to pr- almost protect them a little bit. So that yeah. they can fall down, but then you need to be able to help them back up and you don't put them in a situation that's going to be negative for them or negative for their career. And you don't put them out there until you feel like they're ready for it.
0: <laughs> until they're ready to leave the nest kind of. Yeah.
1: Something like yeah. Well, companies are different, but it's like, if you're young in your career and you have to go, I'm not, if you, if we don't feel like you're ready to present to like a VP level or a senior leader until you're ready, you don't want to go in front of them. And then that senior leader is like, wow, that's, they have a, a kind of a different image of you or perception. Yeah. Cause it's one of the, one of the other things around, like kind of just protecting um, like how your level of influence, right. is also built off of other people's perception of you. So once you realize there's a book out there that kinda of goes into depth, but um your ability to influence starts with you how you are perceived by your peers and the people you want to influence eventually. So when I think about like not going too far, if I don't feel like you're ready, you can't present or you're not gonna represent yourself well to certain books, then maybe that's not time. We'll build on those skills so you're ready. Yeah. You can go there and then you can present yourself in a really great, great light, right?
0: Stuff,
1: yeah, build your confidence and your perspective around where you're at in your career and how you can continue to grow your experiences.
0: Yeah, no, I I like the way that you walked through that too because it speaks to really, really knowing and having a relationship and a connection with the people that you're managing or you're mentoring or you're coaching because you really have to know where they're at to know how far. how far out away from the bullseye they can get and how much support they need and when they're really ready. So it's, it's really, it's really not just saying, all right, here's my checklist. Now you need to go do a project that makes you uncomfortable. And then you're good to go. And you're done here. You kind of know what you're, I mean, it very much gets into like that very literal, like muscle building coach kind of setting where it's like, you're there to spot them and you know, you're going to try and help them gauge what they can lift and how, like how close they can get to fatigue without, you know, being crushed. Right. Yeah, and
1: given them those opportunities, you also learn more about them too.
0: Yeah,
1: with some ambiguity, how they problem solve, right? How do they communicate? And you can help them. Like once you see some of that, they kind of, do they reach out when they have questions? Are they thoughtful? Are they relying on me for the answers? Or they? Um. So you just learn a lot about their process more. Kind of, and also, it, it, it helps guide you in how you can coach in further sessions too.
0: Yeah. Do you have any advice or maybe experience around uh, how transparent you are with people that you're working with or that you're managing in terms of like, here's what I'm doing? Like, do you tell them, hey, I'm going to try and stretch you here? Or does that kind of I mean, I'm assuming everybody's going to be different. And some people might be all about wanting to know that versus other people might feel manipulated or kind of controlled in that regard. Do you have a do you have any insight around that?
1: Yeah, a lot of, I mean, you probably know me very well. It's like I'm pretty transparent, right? Almost <laughs> a little bit too much sometimes. Um, but I always think context and expectations are important. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're right. Everybody's different. So, but the approach is, um, I guess the intent is always the same. It's always yeah. better for them to help them grow. So first, I think first is just gaining trust with that person that they actually and authentic and trying to help right and trying to achieve what we want to achieve so it's really getting them the trust and getting the buy-in on on the process so it's like it's even in the last six months of product just kind of it's a lot of just building trust with with folks and just
2: mm-hmm. you
1: know, not going too far not asking too much but as now as we kind of build some of that trust now we can go in and feel a little bit more Um, they can be a little bit more vulnerable, right? And I can be a little bit more vulnerable about what we're trying to do. So, yeah, you have to gauge it with everybody. Everybody's going to take it a little bit different. Your communication style is going to be a little different. Um, Yeah, and just kind of work through some of that. Because that approach sometimes are kind of like, yeah, the ambiguity is a little much. So, um, yeah, to kind of help them get through that.
0: Right, right. Also, my
1: style is as the older I get is a little bit more visionary, or, or like <laughs> like let's not worry about barriers right now. Let's just figure out what needs, what's, what should we be doing? And then, right. A lot of the folks I'm working with are like, but there are barriers. There are stuff in the <laughs> yeah, But we have to really. It's almost that lean mentality of like you got to understand what your your vision where you want to be, and then we'll tackle the barriers as
0: right. Come. Yeah, and kind of getting them
1: past that point. Just and just say, don't worry about the barriers right now. What should it be?
0: And yeah.
1: That would, you know, so, that's just it's, it's a process. It's a lot of work, right? You got you got to put the time in.
0: Yeah, too, and I think you were as you brought it up, like not only helping people see the vision, but then as the leader, being able to help break down those barriers that get identified. So saying, hey, it's okay that there are barriers. It's my job to go take care of those. What do you need to do exactly what you want to do if you could do anything?
1: Yeah, and. It's kind of like we work together to work through them, right? Because as a leader, you're not going to break down all the barriers. But <laughs> sometimes you go over, sometimes you go around, sometimes you change tactics, right? Yeah. If things are not necessarily in your control or even in your influence, right? You can you just have to adjust. It's I always go back to that that lean methodology because it's never a straight line between today and tomorrow. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. You have to adjust.
1: Be able to have that process open, take new information in, and be be agile enough to get work, work through it and make progress.
0: Yeah. Awesome. I think we're going to move to my favorite analogy that I've, I've taken away from you. Um, It's the idea of spinning plates. So the idea that, what is it like, it's like a circus act, right? Where you've got all the the plates that are, that are spinning on poles and inevitable that as they're, as they start to slow down, they're going to fall. And so I think that was, I just have, I don't, I can't count the number of times I can picture you saying it, in a positive way. And I've started to use it with others, but, you know, how do you manage all the spinning plates? Like, how do you, how are you intentional about what you're prioritizing so that you're putting energy into the right things so that nothing falls down, knowing that you can't do everything all at once. So can you talk a little bit about um, where that came up, where that where the the imagery for that came up and then kind of how has it served you uh, throughout your career?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure where it came from. It's just probably because <laughs> why I use a lot of like metaphors or analogies like that is just to help communicate sometimes just ideas, or just maybe it's too hard or it gets, maybe it gets too technical. So you try and just mm-hmm. be as simple as possible. Uh, for me, it's just, especially when you start leading teams or even leading multiple teams, right? Um, there's so much going on and some people, either shut down or they lean in and, and they work a lot, right? So I always looked at it as like, oh, I want to always work smarter. I want to work as efficiently as possible. Um, so for me, it just, I that visual of going, well, we have all these different things that are going on and they're different states, different parts of either the mm-hmm. projects or it's issues that come up, um, problems that you have to solve. So I always just thought that, that was a good visual because you always had you can just picture the 10 or 30 of them. That are spinning and if they're spinning great cool i don't have to worry about it <laughs> but if it starts to wobble then i need to go kind of shake the stick again mm-hmm.
2: just
1: to, and put some attention to it um well i i still use it and It's funny it, you know, this new role i've used it just to kind of help with prioritization <laughs> so it's just to i think that's important you have to you have to decide how many plates you have that you're going to care about Right. And what, what's realistic for us and the team to really monitor. And then what I one of, the, one of the things I learned by running the office overseas was with having multiple divisions and those types of things is is allowing those leaders or those managers of those divisions to monitor their own priorities and mm. have a process for them to know when to bring you in.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, they need guidance they need reassurance they need um, um, a decision
1: or they they don't know they need some coaching right so but the, you have to set up a process to say okay those are your your priorities your plates here's when title wants build an exception model of mm-hmm. this is when we talk about it. everything else you are empowered to make your decisions you're empowered to just let it fall or whatever it is we'll talk about it um but then I can, as a leader, kind of go, I know I have a process. Mm-hmm. And I will be informed when there's something that I need to get involved with. So then I can go, I don't have to think about that right now. Yeah. I can worry on my own plates that are wobbling or maybe I don't have a process against it. And then I can go against that and kind of, because that was the important one is just the prioritization. What's the most important thing, right? And, and being grounded and what's important for your, your team, your division, whatever it is. So that's the first thing, but then you have to have a process to know when to pay attention to them. How do you know mm. the modeling is one way, because you can't you, you can't watch them all. <laughs> yeah. All the, there's too right. much going on, especially in some of the global supply chains that we've dealt with, right? I can't be watching the shipment containers. I can't be watching all material deliveries at our factories. I can't all the different things. I can't be monitoring um, labor disputes or covid shutdowns or, right i need you need a process to say okay if you're watching if you have a team member that's responsible for it here's when you need to talk to me about this stuff yeah right is yeah. how you keep me informed about what's going on here is when we need to make decisions or we need to get together and figure out what to do
0: yeah so if- i like that you brought up the idea of like the exception management piece too because if you have you have all these plates going on and other people with their own plates like you need some kind of warning to say, this one's, this one's wobbling. Yep. I might need some help, right? This one, we might need more than just me to look at, or maybe you need to look at this one. So kind of building in that, that early warning system. So you don't need to watch them all like a hawk all the time, but you want to catch it before it's too late. Yeah,
1: that, it, yeah, exactly. So it's like Nike used to have this thing called a multiplier, like be a multiplier, right? It's mm-hmm. that it's Empowering your teams, empowering your, your leaders to say, "Hey, I got this, but you, you also have to know, you have to stay informed and stay engaged with what's going on. You just can't for, always forget about it. But you have a process. So I would set up processes where we either have weekly meetings or monthly meetings to kind of tell me if it's project-based. Here's where you're going to come in and tell me what's going on, where you, yeah. you have problems. But then you are leading that project. You are running it. You're responsible for results. But then you need to come to me when you hit barriers. Right? Yeah. You, stuff like you have to and then if there's any big things or even celebrate the win so just hey we made it through like we figured <laughs> it out those are all the important stuff but then that's the important stuff like the management process that we need to set up
0: yeah is the i mean with the idea and you kind of called out too the idea that you have to you have to be aware of how many plates you have like there's only so many no matter how how nimble you are and agile you are in terms of jumping between priorities you have to almost be able to say no sometimes how do you how do you treat saying no to to prioritizing something that just doesn't work for you or your team and, and kind of managing that message back yeah,
1: it's always tough um i think part of what we do is we sit down Make sure we we're absolutely clear what our team is there for. What's their mission? What's their what what we desire to be? Um, the process that I go about is we sit down and say, okay, I kind of start with the company. What's the company like? Goals and objectives. What are all of our stakeholders' goals and objectives? Right. We kind of pull it all together, so we're all aware of what's around us and what we're responsible for. And then we say, okay, what's the most what's what are the kind of top ones we usually end up with three or four or five mm-hmm. right? kind of big nuggets and we say that's where we're at so if we're going to be spending our time we're going to be spending time pushing this forward and making sure that we're putting our energy towards that so we know when something else comes in we can say hey look does it fit in here and you have to be a little bit uh, political in this say look it, it's not if it comes down from the mountain it's coming down from your superiors or whatever from whoever yeah. you have to. Readjust, right? It comes in, become tablets from the mountain right there. Must do. Um, so that comes in, but then you reprioritize. You just don't take it all on. Mm. Right? You have to say, okay, what comes off? What gets delayed? What gets rescoped? Um, so that way you keep your teams from kind of running too hot. You can say, okay, well, we're going to delay on this project because we need to go. Like right now, one of our biggest things is supply chain. Traceability that's coming down. It's it's a top requirement. We have to have visibility into our supply chain documentation.
2: Mm-hmm. Taking energy away
1: from some other stuff that we would want to do, like getting better at materials planning or getting better at um delivery or working on delivery standards, right? So we'll still do that, but then we have to go tackle this traceability, right? That's just gonna be a requirement for us. Um So that was one example of coming down and saying, well, then we reprioritize. Yeah, But then sometimes if it's another thing where it's sometimes it's just technically not possible, then you just have to go work back and work with the team. The other priority that came in and say, what can we do? How could we support you? But here's some things that we can't do either technically or we're just resourcing time. We don't have that resource. So if it's not coming down from the mountain, it's it's, you have to reset the expectations of what,
0: what we, what's possible for right now. Yeah. Kind
1: of like, it's not a no, but it's like, it's, it's an adjustment. So that's the political nature of it. But yeah. You know.
0: I almost get that vision of like the, like the either like product development or project management triangle, right? Like is it yeah. time cost features, right? Like if you, yeah. you get to pick two. So obviously if you only have so much money, you get, I mean, you know, or a timeline then you can have this and this and that those are your constraints like that's how you end up constraining it and thinking about it yeah absolutely awesome are there uh obviously very clear application in kind of career and work setting have you used the spinning plates in terms of looking at your life more broadly where maybe your career is one of the plates and you've got you know you know with abby and the boys and then Playing hockey, playing music, doing stuff for you, like how do you how do you balance the plates of your broader life or use the analogy in that sense to prioritize?
1: Sure. And yeah, so it comes down to the same prioritization. Like you gotta really think what's important. So if you bring in the family side of it, right, what's a lot of it's around your kids. So you just prioritize that. Um, say okay, and can it work? It's that same kind of resourcing question. Like, how much energy, how much time, and, and mind space can you put towards it? and Being honest about that, mm-hmm. and sometimes just downtime is important too. You have to prioritize that to just some quiet time. Um, so yeah, like a lot. Of, I have a lot of interests and a lot of hobbies that I just I don't I don't get into right now, right? So yeah, um, it's a very similar approach, and it's just working it out with with your partner, or wife, or whatever. Yeah. And, um, and saying, well, what are we going to focus on? Right. We're not going to do everything. Right. Um, yeah. So it's just, it's, you build that great partnership with your family about that. And, just, and when things kind of get a little bit like, if work's revving up too much, like being, being prioritized, like I always still prioritize um, the kids' activities. Right. Just as much as possible. I'm almost at every soccer game, every tournament mm-hmm. that we go to. It's just, it's as what I learned early on with that is um, the <laughs> some managers that I've had or leaders that I've seen. It's like the business will continue. Mm-hmm. If you think you can't take the time off, you have an inflated sense of your own importance.
2: <laughs>
1: if yeah, work will still go on. Somebody will do it. It will, it, will, it will wait for you.
0: <laughs> right right yeah
1: <laughs> you need to have that balance between the two and it's it's either time but it's also headspace as well you need to learn how to how to shut it down and walk away for a little bit it's tough because it still kind of runs yeah and like things that you're trying to figure out but you gotta you have to prioritize that but even then like we try not to take on too much stuff in our personal life you know hobbies or interests or activities sometimes we just like i don't want to do anything this weekend
2: yeah but right
1: and do stuff or, or if we're in the mood, then we'll go travel or we'll go do something.
0: Yeah. I think I really like both in the professional and the personal side of things, you kind of touched on having a conversation with the impacted parties, whether it's your family or like your uh, cross-functional partners or whatever that, that, that are asking you to do things as being open in terms of where those priorities lie and being honest and authentic and transparent to say, here's what we can do. So Not leaving anything up to assumption and not leaving anything up to, Hey, I'm going to do this just because this is, this is what makes sense for me. So I really like that. And I think it segues into the idea of kind of building and maintaining relationships or networking. I think there are a lot of different ways to spin it, but maybe first through the lens when you talked a little bit about it at the beginning, Nike being a very relationship-based culture, I think there are a lot of relationship-based cultures where it's important to, to be more than just transactional, but, can you maybe talk about your approach to maintaining relationships? And I'll, I'll maybe start by saying too, that I think it's because of the relationship that we had from at Oracle in large part that helped me get over to Nike as well. So I think maybe a little bit of the benefit, if you could talk to the benefit of maintaining relationships or how you, how do you maintain relationships authentically?
1: Yeah. I mean, always good questions. <laughs> <I don't laughs> to Articulate, but yeah, um, I almost feel like a lot, a lot of our jobs are just relationships being straight. We're all, we're either aligned to a common goal or a common purpose, right? When you're, you're working together. So it's always just, whenever I think about that, either going to how we work through problems is, is remaining true to that. Of just saying it's not about our team doing better than your team. It's about, are we achieving what we've set out and what we've agreed to? So I think from relationships, it's, it just seems like that's it's always that way. It's always mm-hmm. always focused on relationships, how I bridge together. Because I I just truly believe we all want to help each other achieve goals. I don't think I've ever experienced even in competitive because Nike is a competitive world, right? It's just kind of the nature of the company, but it's competitive with a common purpose. So you're kind of all on the same team. So you, I even have this approach when we work with suppliers or, or um, um, business partners. It's kind of that same thing. We're there to achieve a common goal. So I think when you're authentic around that and open to that, then it breaks down, it allows you to have stronger relationships because it's not, it just feels more real. Mm-hmm. Build that trust between the, between the teams, and between the, um, the people that you work with. So it's always been my approach, and it just felt like it's always more beneficial to have that that focus than maybe a little bit more defensive or a little bit more competitive focused. Yeah. Because um, you'll always need help from somebody; you can never really do it alone. So either with your teams that you manage or lead, or with the other teams that you work with. Mm-hmm need need some type of help. in the relationship. So it's always a team focus. So it's I've always focused on relationships and making sure it was honest. It was um, just like a, not, not personal in a way. So it's, hmm. you know what I mean? So it's, um, it's you, you build the connections personally, but it's, we're trying to solve problems. So it's not, hmm. like if I'm upset if somebody, some team's not doing what I expect them to do. It's not personal. It's not really, I don't believe it's their intent. It's just, we need to work through We have different expectations.
0: Yeah. Kind of using the relationship, the benefit of the relationship to, to kind of objectify the situation. And like you're saying, assume positive intent. We're all trying to do this. Nobody's out there trying to do something to make life hard for somebody else.
1: Right. And it's, I've always felt like I've, when I, when I have the ability to help somebody, I want to, Mm -hmm. kind of that I want to have that same expectation for the relationships that we build. built. So we're all here to help each other out and work through. And it's kind of interesting because I, I think the reason, like going back to kind of your second tenure mm-hmm. together is, it was kind of funny because you're recommending one of your colleagues. Which oh, yeah. Him too. But then I thought, oh, yeah, I remember you. <laughs> in fact, you make a good impression. So you had... you. I think you're a new college grad that we hired. Mm-hmm. so you just didn't, you leaned in, you're curious, so it's just kind of how your approach. I remember that how it imprinted on me. So when you came up, I'm like, okay, I'm also hiring for another role.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Let's talk to you. And I remember, I thought that my sense was back when you were like, you're like, no, 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 but I'm recommending. Like, I know, but I want to talk to you. <laughs> you you built that relationship even if it was a short period on the first time over at Oracle but it was it made an impression so it was just kind of I think that's the importance of relationships as well is I felt like you would be a good fit personally because of mm. the relationship that we built so it, was, it was, kind of, that was kind of a fun experience I'm like oh yeah oh, wait a I can talk to you about it yeah
0: what
1: we hired your colleagues for
0: yeah it's uh it's funny right because i think speaking of making good impressions and transitions and pivots and everything it it kind of becomes a lot to try and keep track of as an individual to say how do i make sure i'm making a good impression want to be authentic and as I transition it to like maybe a new role or a new company I don't want to burn any bridges and you want to maintain that is there anything that you do personally to try and make sure that you do keep those positive relationships as you as you go through your career and maybe people phase in and out but you want to still be able to have those connections and be able to reach back out with with kind of positive thoughts in mind yeah I think it's just
1: just with everything else so like when I left Nike I thought I was at least open and honest with the folks that I communicated to about what my intent was,
2: mm-hmm. even though
1: I felt like it was a time to do something new and different, where I felt like um, kind of my path at Nike um kind of came to an end, so I just was open about that. So i I just need I need a change. I need something new, right? New perspective, new start. So just being honest with the intent and. It's not a personal thing. It's not like the managers that I worked with or the people I worked with. I think they're still some of the best people that I ever worked with. It was yeah. Um, so it wasn't. So just making it super clear about my intentions of why, and I think the more more um, experienced managers get it or leaders get it, right? They go, "Yep, I've been through that." It's, and it's <laughs> I was thinking about this story is like when I was younger in my career, is I saw some of the older. Older folks in their career, and they're just a little bit kind of—I uh, wouldn't call it grumpy, but salty. I call them old salty. yeah operations <laughs> folks. Yeah, I don't want to be that that person. And so I have a little because it's—I think they get there is because they kind of see the same things coming around again, and they kind of see similar results, and they just get a little, a little frustrated and a little bit jaded. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to be in a situation where I start to feel like that. So, if I start to feel like that, then it's a signal for me to go find a new passion, new
0: new film. Oh, yeah.
1: So, if you kind of, I mean, that's, I guess, being long enough at Nike, you kind of you start to see this uh, secular nature of it. You're like, okay. Even though I'm still in apparel and it's still very similar themes, it's, it's a different culture, different people, different approach, different size and scope. So it's, it's it's kind of the same reason, like gone from Oracle to so from high tech hardware, computers to apparel. The, the theory and the approaches of what you do in operations are are very similar. Mm-hmm. The application of them are a lot different. So you mentioned like low volume, high value to high volume, lower value. Mm-hmm. Like a couple cents for um, Nike is a big deal a couple cents for Oracle <laughs> on a part or a piece of uh, material is not a big deal. Yeah. I was dealing with excess material like excess servers at Oracle that were about sixty thousand dollars each. I was concerned about four of them <laughs> it adds up. Whereas a couple cent increase on your on your purchase price at, at Nike was a big deal
0: because yeah.
1: you're like that over a million units. So it's just its applications are a little different. So it gives you a new perspective when you shift kind of either the, the industry or even going from Nike, who the apparel business says well over probably $12 billion or something like that to $140, or $150 million company. Right? Mm. So it's a lot different. The size and scope of our decisions are different. Um, so it's just a different challenge, different mindset that you have to go against. But like you can leverage all of your prior experience and
0: approaches. Yeah. I like I like the thought too, because you mentioned uh I think both from like a career perspective, like having that that internal almost like a tripwire where it's like, oh, this doesn't I, I feel like I've reached the end of here. Like I've kind of kind of like exception management. Like, all right, I've got my exception now. I need to what do I need to go do with this? And like you were saying too, with industries and size and scope of companies, the the metrics that you're looking at are the same. It's just where you set those exceptions to start flagging that's where you kind of have to recalibrate and reset. So I really like that kind of pulling those examples in. Nice. And then um, one other thing I wanted to touch on too, because you were talking about relationships and kind of maintaining good relationships. I think curious, your thoughts, like the, one of the, I feel like it's all over the place. Now, everybody loves to talk about it on LinkedIn. You see people post it like the whole whole idea that people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And I think people can turn that around a little bit, to say, oh, if you're leaving me as a manager, then you must think I'm a terrible manager. Um, and I think I'd love your thoughts on that because personally, I think that it's a it's a false association. Like somebody can leave a company because they have a terrible manager, but they could also leave a company because of any number of other things. So, yes. how would you how what advice would you give? I think maybe to somebody that's either thinking about leaving um, and might feel like they don't want to burn bridges with their manager, or even for managers where people are leaving. How they might approach that
1: yeah i mean it's I, i've seen that too i think there's some truth to it but i don't know if i weigh it as heavy it's kind of like mm-hmm. mean, it's just there are i i think it's a, it, I take it as a message to leaders and managers of how important you are and how important you make people feel mm-hmm. um so that's that old quotes like people remember what you did for them but they'll remember how you, you made them feel mm-hmm that's, that resonates a lot with me. Kind of how you manage—like, we're not going to remember the projects. Like, whatever project you thought you couldn't accomplish, <laughs> I don't even remember that. But
0: I couldn't remember. It. I was trying to think of it to to throw it in there. I couldn't remember you it. Know how you felt about it. Yeah, right?
1: so, but then you also hopefully have a positive feel, like okay, but I, I came out. I, I learned something. I, there's a positive process there. So, so I resonate a lot with that. Feeling. So I think it's just, I think that trend is really to get managers really to kind of think about that and like mm-hmm. how to treat people. But yeah, it's not the only reason. Like the, when I left Nike, was, I was working for the same manager that hired me. I've right. tremendous respect. I've learned tremendously from him, right? he About communication styles, how you manage. Like, I've learned so much over the 10 years. Um, with working with him. So it wasn't him, right? It wasn't, he wasn't the reason, Mm -hmm. right? I looked at kind of, as I kind of, we talked about the idea of where do I, what do I want to, what does it look like when maybe I'm done working in like this career? I always just, uh, I think in chapters, Mm -hmm. what's that chapter? Cause even in retirement, it's just a different chapter. you are just focused on something else. Um, So when you're kind of done with your working Career chapter, what does it look like? And when I was looking at the opportunities around at Nike, I just, I didn't, I pursued some paths that didn't work out for me. And I said, okay, I don't, whatever that vision of myself would be, or even a vague vision of it, I don't see it here. Mm-hmm. I see the opportunities. I learned a lot, but then I need a different challenge. I want, I always wanted to be kind of like, I think maybe I even shared it with you, it's just kind of that end-to-end supply chain leader, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons I liked this role of prominent is I get to do more of that type of work. Right? Yeah. So it was more about that opportunity than experiences that I think I needed versus the manager that I was working for. Yeah. I think that Those types of thoughts are, it's a little bit, it's a little bit too on the surface. There's more to it.
0: So it'll be right
1: pretty, but I think it's also just kind of a reaffirming message for managers that kind of that principle of it's really important how you' in your relationships how you make people feel right feel empowered feel positive feel like they're learning they're growing um, they're achieving whatever their their goals are so if you can make them feel like that's possible then that's the most important thing yeah. So, but I I guess it also depends. I think if you're early in your career, maybe that message is true.
0: Sure. You
1: haven't that You just don't click with that stuff. I mean, I've had that before in my career and maybe that was a reason why.
2: <laughs> sure.
1: That's right. Um, but I have a lot more positive experiences with managers than, than some of those where I didn't have a good experience.
0: Yeah, no, that's great. That's good insight. I think maybe uh, so. We'll shift gears now. I think maybe to focus on one chapter that uh, I'm super interested in. I feel like would be of great interest to people listening is the chapter where you spent some time abroad with Nike um, as as kind of an as an expat. And so I wonder, to um, folks might not be familiar with kind of the idea of a liaison office or contract manufacturing. Can you talk a little bit about just broad? broad general picture about kind of what the opportunity was and kind of the the structure that enabled that kind of opportunity.
1: Yeah, so um, in apparel and footwear, it's very common that you have kind of a headquarters that kind of is somewhat responsible for design of the product and kind of um, that piece of the, the process, but then you have your contract manufacturers that kind of bring it, to life, they start doing prototypes, they start doing samples and those types of things. So usually it's kind of this hub and spoke um, model where the headquarters kind of drives the product
2: decisions, but then you have regional offices that are closer in country or in the region mm-hmm.
1: help work with the factories uh, through the development process, the commercialization process and then just the execution of the production. So once you do it through the commercialization you have the normal product, like, okay, now you're running more bulk or um, larger scale production. So there's the day-to-day management of it. So a lot of those offices are either in region or in country. They usually have localized staff that can communicate in the local language, um, culturally, you
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, have a lot of engineers, you have a lot of costing development folks. Um, so for Nike, they have several offices overseas. A lot of them are in Asia. So um, there, where the opportunity came up is there's usually the general manager type of role that runs the office. There is one of the main liaisons back into headquarters. That's why they call them liaison offices um, that work with the headquarters on processes, expectations, strategy, but then you're also managing the, the functional teams um, in the office there. So when I was there, it was, you had production teams, you had quality teams, you had engineering, development, materials development, sustainability, or compliance. Mm-hmm. What else was in there? There's i um, I'm missing somebody, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, and development teams. So there yeah. probably missed somebody, but that's kind of where you get into the spinning plates of like you have all these different departments. They all have very tactical execution type of roles that are working. And probably also part of that is you're kind of the main um, main relationship owner of the supplier. So you're working mm. with manufacturers, you own the relationship with them. So um, expectations, strategy, performance, right? You're overseeing that relationship for the company. So you're on, you're kind of in region, you know what's going on in the region and then your work, you're also that main communication hub with the headquarters.
0: Yeah.
1: A pretty cool job actually. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. Um, did you know that that was something like, was that on, your, on yeah. your radar? Like you were very intentional about wanting that?
1: Yeah. So going back to that whole career planning piece is kind of like, there's a lot of different ways you can do it. It's like three jobs, three jobs from now. Mm-hmm. Or your North Star, a lot of that just kind of helps build, like, what are the experiences? So if I go back, one of my North Stars is that, and then supply chain executive, whatever that is, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever you define that to be, but you say, okay, for us to have, what are those types of roles? It could be like VP of manufacturing. It could be COO, whatever, supply chain officer now. Those types of roles, okay, how you, how are you qualified for that? Like, what experiences, what roles do you have to say I can my name in for that type of role Mm -hmm. you back it down to your current role and say one of those if i was to lead manufacturing or sourcing one of the roles is i need to know how the regional offices work Mm -hmm. one of those experiences that i could get would be go have this gm type of liaison office director roles so i put it on the list and it's okay well how do i get in the conversation for that role okay Mm -hmm. so and what I started to do then is you put that, you lay that all out, and you go talk to people. So Nike at that point was relationship based. So you go talk with the VPs, the folks that are in the jobs that you
2: bring mm-hmm.
1: away from where you're at. And you say, hey, I want to get to here. Does this look right? Like, are these the experiences? What do you think I need to be in the conversation for some of these roles? What can I do now to kind of make sure I'm, I'm on that path to be qualified for those types of roles? And it started. I, I remember having the conversation with one of the VPs. It was about two years before the even role came up. Mm-hmm. So it started that early. And I remember talking with my wife about it. I said, Hey, if I put it out there that we want an expat role, we need to be prepared to say yes. <laughs> right. Because the way I still think it works is you may not get asked a second time for right. the role. And it just came up. I remember I was in. We were working together at the time and um remember my manager came in and goes hey would you be interested in this role and he was kind of putting the feelers out like hey we're talking about kind of succession planning and these mm-hmm. roles and are you interested? should we put you on the list that you're interested in and that's like one of those you, know, like, you have to be prepared because if you say no it's not the right time you don't know when the next one's coming up
0: yeah if it ever does right yeah
1: so part of that planning, even two years before, was like, hey, if it comes up, are we being able? Because it's a big deal to go overseas, right? You move your whole family, right? You have to have a good mindset You're living in a foreign country, right? Your kids are going to different schools, mm-hmm. different family, everything that you know. So you have to have, one, you have to be open to that type of experience and then be willing to say yes to it. Because yeah. a lot of, oh, my kids aren't the right age or... Maybe it's not the right time or maybe there's family needs that are pulling you in a different direction. So there's a lot of reasons not to do it, but then Mm -hmm. be ready to say yes to it. It takes a lot of planning and you put yourself out there, you're networking, you're telling the people that you're talking to, essentially a lot of decision makers of folks that hire for those roles just to say, kind of get in the conversation. Yeah. Start early.
0: Right. Yeah. So it sounds like starting early, being like, being aware of of who to talk to and, and not necessarily having like a a relationship to give you a, 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 like a leg up necessarily, but at least so that they know who you are, so that they're familiar with you. Is there anything from like a, an execution? Like, how do you, how do you then focus how you do the job that you're in to make sure that you're performing in a way that, that also makes you stand out? Cause I think there's, there's Mm -hmm. a balance, right? Like it's, I think it was even you you gave the example one time when talking to me about some of those succession planning discussions of like hey I could if I'm going to put you up for or anybody up for like an exceeding expectations or like a higher rating you like you as the manager can't be the only one putting that person up there like other people have to see it as well so it's it, it's a degree of knowing other people but also doing work that stands out in a way that that other people see it so do you have any advice around the work itself. Yeah, I mean you have to
1: you have to continue to be a high performer, right? And making sure you're taking experiences, projects, or being part of projects that are outside of your kind of day to day that get you in the meetings, in the conversations with folks outside of your group. And so they see you as those other teams see you as a high performer as well. Mm. Uh, I'm, yeah probably one of the stories that we had a long time ago was when we're doing all the ratings and all the managers are talking like hey here's my group going on and i remember one of our vps at the time is going hey if he, you're going to rate him as like the highest level exceptional whatever
0: mm-hmm.
1: he, was, he goes why don't i know about him?
0: right yeah
1: I'm like if he's that good then i should know so maybe i don't agree with that rating. yeah so Part of that, like for you, for somebody that's doing the work, is just being open to those. I know it's a little extra work, it's, but it's it pays dividends later on with those types of discussions. And then as a, as a manager, is take, understanding who are those that kind of higher performer folks and giving them roles that are giving them experiences or um, projects that get them exposed. So that's very intentional. Mm-hmm. I didn't make your questions before is like, is it intentional? Yeah. Yes, it is. So um, so for you, probably back then, I, realized I was confident in your ability or wanted to at least see how far you could go. So I was trying to find either be a part of a team that gets you out of our group, gets you exposed to see how other groups work, mm-hmm. how contribute to that, working for potentially a different leader or manager in those types of cross-functional projects to get you exposed outside of. Because I think we're in the accessories business at the time. It was kind of like a little siloed spot. Right. You can do really a great job, and maybe nobody knows about you. Right. Your so, <laughs> so development and what I wanted was the intentional piece. Was let's get you out into apparel. Let's get you out in the cross function. Maybe it's even the cross. Um. Even like dealing with folks in footwear, which was a mm-hmm. division at Nike, right? So how do you how are they aware of you and kind of what you can do? Yeah, so you have to be open to that, and then also that's kind of those experiences that starts to separate you from other folks. People just want to come in and do their job. Awesome, that's great. Those are great too. But if you want different jobs, different experiences, like a like an international assignment, they're going to give. That's a that's a position that is intentional on the organization to give you leadership experience.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you have to. Have that kind of uh, indication that you have that upward of, um, potential
2: mm-hmm.
1: for, for them to be considering you for these types of roles. Because why yeah. I picked one of those roles is I looked at every VP across manufacturing and operations; they've all had international experience, they mm-hmm. office overseas, doing some type of role, mm-hmm. not GM role. But they're over there they know how it works they know how the day-to-day works how you make products yeah and So for you to be in those elevated roles you need that's one of your critical experiences that you need to have yeah so that's why i put on the list i start putting it out there so for that that's so from a manager if you have folks that are that high potential those type of folks you have to give them opportunities right so it's out there and getting known and, and so you're not the only advocate for their career yeah, yeah. But maybe the other point we haven't talked about is part of that networking is is having other folks outside of your direct management chain as advocates for you mm. i think that yeah. was well, my time at nike for sure was i had multiple people that knew what i wanted to do what it, what i was good at what my strengths were and so when they get into conversations like this they go oh yeah i know him yep he, they know you and they can speak up on their behalf right it goes back to like you don't get that exposure until you're ready
0: mm, you have a, right uh,
1: experience then you don't have an ally in that conversation yeah and they're highly influential in those. right so if you have a bunch of vps talking about org talent and succession plans right you can't have somebody that goes nah patrick nah you didn't show up sure
0: <laughs> right that will kill you
1: in those conversations
0: yeah no i love that too all of this really comes back to and the emphasis on the manager um, for being a very intentional partner for individuals development as well as like advocate for them so I think too just knowing that it's not a one-size-fits-all like what is what does this person want to do what are they capable of doing when are they ready to do it how do I help them grow their network in the right ways uh, I just love that that it all kind of comes back to that that first point that we were talking about of kind of really knowing knowing the people that you're uh, in service of. And I think too, you even mentioned it was Chad at the time, right? That he knew that you wanted this. So he was able to advocate for you and know when you were ready and know when to put you out there. So um, really, really cool, well, full circle.
1: On, I, I talked with all the. So that's one thing, maybe folks that are early in their career, they feel like they maybe shouldn't bother some of the executives. Mm. Um, and it, it, it all depends on your organization. But at Nike at the time, they're completely open to conversations. They're a lot more approachable. Um, A lot of folks are. And what folks early in their career might not understand is a lot of those leaders and managers want to help. And part of their responsibility is to grow the talent and develop the talent within the organization. Um, So they're always open to that conversation and meeting new people and and coaching and mentoring. So that's maybe going back to maybe jumping ahead like things that I wish I knew earlier was not to be so potentially um, imitated by approaching some of those more senior folks and open to it. You have, you have to be thoughtful and intentional, but yeah. um, they're open to it. They want to help. They want to coach. A lot of them do. So yeah. can, I know not everybody's the same, but at least at Nike, that was the way it was. And that's what I learned it to be. So even for right now, if folks early on want some advice or want some mentorship or having to negotiate different things. You want that's part of your role as a yeah. leader to help nurture that. So yeah. you don't quite understand that, or right? like that's I don't have a lot of day-to-day tangible things. I have a lot of conversations, but one of my key deliverables or key goals is to develop talent.
0: Right. No, that's that's really good insight because yeah, I found that found that for myself too. It's the oh, I don't want to bother them, or like oh, they're not going to know who I am. Why would they want to meet with me? So I think really good insight well and then i think uh so we're at just about at time any i guess i'd love to finish these conversations um on a little lighter more open-ended note what's the coolest thing you've ever done in your career if you had to pick one thing said this was the coolest what comes to mind yeah i guess
1: probably two things probably the first one is just that role overseas i thought mm-hmm. that was just having that experience and just kind of it changes your whole worldview a lot. Working overseas, working with the teams over there, and just living outside the country was was pretty awesome. So just super thankful for that opportunity, and just it's it's become more and more rare. I guess at the time you kind of you think it's cool, but then you realize that not a lot of people get to do that. Mm-hmm. So that was pretty awesome. And then on the more side. Probably the coolest thing is when you start to see, like, people that you've mentored or helped or even helped a little bit really succeed. I mean, you're one of those examples. I have a couple of examples, even from overseas, right, of mm-hmm. people that are now almost like executive level that you've helped along the way. It's like that's so cool. Um, so that's for me. That's best part of it. I mean, I have several examples of that that they're senior directors or. Or even higher, right? And yeah. From like analyst level roles, you just see them progress and learn and and start to be pretty awesome leaders. So that's that's a cool part of it.
0: Awesome. Well, Russ, this was great. Um, also like to finish too, anything um, that you're involved in, whether professional or otherwise, you like to plug here, like to give a little full platform if there's anything, whether it's things you're involved with, things you're excited about, things you want to direct attention to, or where people can find you if they want to connect?
1: Yeah, I don't have a lot of platforms. I kind of keep it <laughs> pretty simple. Um, but yeah, I'm on LinkedIn, so I'm pretty, I'm not active on it, but I'm definitely lurking. I'm watching. <laughs> so if people want to reach out, they can reach out to me there. That's no, no problem. I'm usually pretty open. Um, so it's all inquiries. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I love what you're doing, Patrick. I think it's a great idea around some of these kind of growth and career and development and leadership. So it's awesome. awesome. It's so important for folks to focus on that piece versus kind of like business results. The business results will come if you can lead in some of this authentic, transparent, and vulnerable space. So it's, it's awesome. Cool.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Russ. Really appreciate the time. It was good catching up with you.
1: Great to see you too, Patrick. Awesome. Thank you so much.
0: You bet. And that does it for my time with Russ. It was great to catch up with him, and I'm reminded by how much I can trace back to him for how I approach my own career and the tools and mindsets that I now feel like are almost second nature to me. In reflecting on our conversation, what strikes me as being so present, even though we never came out to directly say it, was that much of Russ's advice stems from taking the time to think about things, just being for a minute. In a world that's so centered around doing, Russ emphasized a need to know and to understand both yourself and those you interact with, and that understanding doesn't just show up. It's something that you need to be intentional and methodical about. That's not to say that there isn't action or doing, but only after you've assessed the right way to act can you truly make a difference for yourself, for others, and the businesses you support. So as always, if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or ideas you'd like to hear covered in future episodes, you can send them to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. If you also have a unique career story of your own or feel as though you have something to offer the world as far as career development advice goes, I'd love to hear from you. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thank you again for listening in and we'll talk more in our next episode.